0: you are listening to season two of the not neurotypical podcast. I'm your host, Laura Stan, and season two is all about my continued late diagnosis journey, finding my voice and figuring out what the heck to do now. So strap on your safety belts, hold on tight, because it's still going to be a bumpy ride. Hi and welcome. Today we have Delaney Klein here with us and she lives just outside of Seattle and she is an employment consultant and she supports people with cognitive and developmental disabilities and I'm going to let her talk more about that. But me and Delaney actually crossed paths because she was a listener of the podcast and then she joined the Not Neurotypical squad. So first of all, Delaney, thank you so much for being here. And um, what have you thought about the squad so far since joining? Um, So far,
1: I am loving it. I kind of felt like it came out at the perfect time for me because I'm trying to unmask a little bit more and um, asked some advice on Twitter. And one of them was finding community and, you know, talking to more people who are further along in their journey. Um, And so it kind of came along at the perfect time. And so far, I'm really enjoying it.
0: That's wonderful. Great to hear. Um, and thank really, you for having me. Oh, sure. Sure. It's it's a really <laughs> fun community where, um, you know, everyone, while we're all so different, can just kind of come and be in an understanding place. And it's so hard to find, especially when you, like, I've only been on this journey about six months. So I'm really just as new as I mean, there's people in the squad that have been in this world way longer than me, so I also find so much value in the not neurotypical squad and and on my Instagram and and really just like you said, I think the best way to really learn is to get out there and talk to people who are are living it and and hearing about other people's struggles. And I mean, I've learned so much about myself from hearing other people's struggles and. And being like, I never thought of it that way. That's amazing. So it's it's just like really fun to connect in that way. Yeah, it's been really validating
1: too. Yes. yes. It's like, and I really like the, once you kind of get used to the design of it, it's like with the different squads and all of that.
0: Um,
1: I like the cool. whole setup.
0: I did a lot of research and I really wanted to make it a place that would be good for neurodivergent adults in general so nothing that's too like distracting or um, just really simple easy somewhere that is easy for people to connect before we dive into more of what you do um, I would love for you to introduce yourself and share more about your story and what you do for a living and any information you want to give our listeners yeah
1: um so again I'm delaney living outside of seattle washington um, and my title is employment consultant which means that i um, i like to say that i support um, adults with disabilities in their professional development because it is all-encompassing it's not just about finding a job um, it's really about finding the skills the interests helping with everything from um Building resumes to um, interview, prep, support mm-hmm. in the interview, on the job, accommodations, all of that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of came into this community, I guess, because about probably a year ago, I just wanted to go a little bit further with supporting my clients. So I was trying to find. Um, people with disabilities um autistic people to help give some advice guide me into how to better support my clients and I came across the actually autistic hashtag on twitter Mm -hmm. um, and started like quietly interacting a little bit I guess reading a lot of it um and it took me a long time to figure out that I related to a lot of it um but then I look back. Do you remember and what like, it was? Do you remember like what, did you have like a light bulb moment? I've been trying to think about this and I don't think I did. I think it was a pretty slow process. Right. Like at first I was reading things and I was like, this sounds like some people in my life. <laughs> like people in my personal right. life. And then I think it was like, there's like those lists that are like specifically about women. And it yes. was like, I think I that's read through it once it for me. Lo-
0: yeah. yeah. The the yeah. list of, of more, I mean, when I found it was a list of like female traits. And now as I get more into the community, I really don't believe it's just female. I think it's just more of an atypical presentation. But um, that's that was my light bulb moment when I read, it was like reading my whole life story in a list mm-hmm. um, and not just negative things. Like the great thing about a lot of those lists is there's positives on there as well. Um, that, but, and I related to the positives and the things that have caused struggles and or challenges in my life as well. So that was, that was really my light bulb moment. Yeah, I would,
1: it was definitely a slow process, but that kind of pieced all together. I think still afterwards, I was like, okay, it took me a little while to maybe internalize it, process right. it all. Yeah. Um, but then since then it's been like, oh yeah, that, that, that. Yeah. It all, it all makes sense. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that, that I guess then now I look back on it. And I'm like, ah, someone who is neurotypical probably wouldn't have spent as much time as I did just browsing.
0: I was thinking that <laughs> when you, when you started uh, on that direction, I'm thinking, yeah, you were, you already had this, like, it was almost like your brain, like craving the info for yourself.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can deep dive. And it was literally like every day um but that's how i work um yeah. me too <laughs> um i guess I, I really didn't get as much out of it for supporting my clients uh, than i did for myself except just accepting and being um i think i always had just this know how to interact with my clients, Mm -hmm. um, and really just getting to know them. And I think that's really what I've gotten out of it all, I guess. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. that's the biggest part for employment for me is really understanding the client and their skills, their interests, figuring, taking the time to learn the person. Yeah.
0: That's Uh, good. Do you think, do you think some of your not you don't have to answer this if this is putting you on the spot, but do you feel like you being neurodivergent yourself, um, understand your clients and their needs a little better than maybe other people who work in your department? Absolutely. Okay. I think a lot of it is
1: patience mm-hmm. because I would be patient with myself. So, um, right. being patient So for with you, them. your
0: approach is to kind of, um, treat them like the way that you would appreciate to be treated basically like taking extra time and understanding and patience. Absolutely. That's great. Um,
1: I take a lot longer than some people do to get to know the person and build relationships because I know for me, it takes a long time to feel comfortable opening up and sharing with someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I may not share exactly my passions, my interests right away um, because that could right. be used in a different um like how I didn't want it to be used um and I won't go into too much detail about any clients but it took probably eight months for someone to share their real interest their real career really dreams with me
0: yeah and why do you, was, what do you why do you think they took so long like why do you think um adults with disabilities that are looking for employment um do you think they come in with already a negative view of what you're trying to do for them?
1: Um, I think this one, this scenario specifically, is kind of, it's not a job that you would nest. It's in the technology field. So okay. they probably hadn't been believed before that they were capable of doing something like that right. and maybe shared it with some people. And they're like, cool, I get that you're on the computer right. all the time, but... <laughs> right let's be realistic here um and I'm like that's so cool how do we get to that right um but it did take a very long time for them to open up about it right so I mean that's kind of my my introduction to what I do and how I came into um figuring out that I'm autistic but I look back now and the rest of my life it's like yep Yep. That'll make sense. Um, I always knew that I was a little different, but I think that my family was kind of the perfect scenario for, um, someone growing up autistic or neuro- neurodivergent in general. Um,
0: that's good. They encouraged so you, so me you to feel like you had a lot of support and, and, and acceptance in who you were. Absolutely. Um, i the reason that I got by
1: was because and I hear this a lot from people I've read it a lot is that I was smart and and I got by in school but I struggled with definitely some other things um so I was not really noticed that I was struggling um right but I always always knew that I and I don't know if this is offensive to anyone because you know it is a word that kind of gets used sometimes but I definitely identify with being a weirdo and
0: oh yeah I'm the biggest weirdo I know that's okay (laughs) I've embraced it at this point but before I used to be like like why do I think like that like why is my brain so weird like on the inside like I can't control it like what's wrong with me you know I used to think those things
1: yeah my family encouraged being weird that's great. It was like, I love that. Just, just do it. Don't care about what anyone has to say about
0: you. Um, and you I think, think that anyone really... in your family is neurodivergent themselves. Oh yes. Yeah. We don't have to um. go into it you know, <laughs> too far. Don't want to like get too personal for you. But, um, when you said that I'm thinking, cause that's kind of how I'm raising my kids, um, who all three are diagnosed on the spectrum and as well as my son has ADHD as well. So, um, you know, I'm thinking to myself, oh, they must be neurodivergent. because <laughs> It's not normal for a family to raise their kids. Like be as weird as you want. You don't have, don't worry yeah. about fitting in, follow your passions. Like, and that's amazing. And I actually think that's how every family should raise their kids, especially in this day and age where you have access to so much, so many opportunities more than ever. Why not encourage your kids to just experience life and what they're passionate in, you know?
1: Yeah. And I think this is actually one of the reasons that it took me a long time to really identify with it was because I didn't necessarily, everyone talked about like some components of trauma and bullying Mm -hmm. from Mm -hmm. that. And I didn't necessarily relate Mm -hmm. to that. Um, and I've heard some discussions about like, what does autism actually look like without the trauma component to it? Um, and definitely there were, I look back and I'm like, okay, I was bullied a little bit. I just didn't register it. And,
0: or <laughs> it I just, just didn't like delayed care. Like you process it 10 years later. Because I, oh, yeah. I have things like that where I was like, that was really horrible, but I didn't <laughs> even know it at the time. Like I- Absolutely. Yeah, I've had that where it like goes right over my head. Um, but then it's, I, I have found in those situations, it still does hurt later. Like you still feel like, even if something happened to you, like even in early teens, like like for me, I'm 35. So that's more than half my life ago. Um, but sometimes I think about some things and I almost like feel a little hurt. And it's something that I didn't hurt about at the time. But it's like something mm-hmm. where this delayed processing can does still affect us in some way, but probably not as bad as processing it as like a preteen or something.
1: Oh, yeah, I'm glad yeah. that my brain shielded (laughs) me from that. (laughs) It's protecting you. (laughs) Definitely. Anyway, I mean, a little bit more about my family. Um, and growing up, I know one of the biggest things that I think helped me besides being encouraged to just be weird was, um, I actually, and this is not typical, um, I think, but I played a lot of sports and Mm -hmm. I think it was very beneficial because my parents were always my coaches. And oh, that's every good. single year, I always had that little, I had that social element, yeah. but I was always kind of, wouldn't necessarily have considered them friends, even though we played sports together for like you 10 were years. You were sick. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's really um, great. And I know movement is so big on, mm-hmm. um, on helping with it. So
0: yeah. Yeah. I was, I did everything. I could do. I was not typical with that. Like my son, for instance, he has never wanted to be involved in sports. Um, really no group activities. Like he's very different. Me as a kid, it was like, I was very sensory seeking. So I was out. I wanted to experience everything. Um, I loved how rough sports were like for me, that was like a way for me to like, get whatever that like, uh, sensory seeking was inside me. Like help me get that out. Um, and sports helped me a lot. And also the structure of sports, you have to learn new things and there's rules and there's very specific rules. And I love that. And I also loved, um, I started ballet very young. And I loved ballet. And it's funny because my parents actually put me in ballet because I was on my toes all the time as a girl. Mm. Um, And they thought at two, I'm running around on my toes, which is considered toe walking and is a trait of, of being autistic. And they were like, oh, look at the little ballerina. (laughs) And um, I also loved classical music. My mom was very into um, classical music. And they were like, oh, we got to get her in ballet. And I loved it. But I think what I loved about ballet the most was the extreme structure. And it's a very strict environment. And I loved that because I knew what to expect. I knew what was expected of me. Um, Ballet is also very black and white where a teacher that is teaching you tells you exactly what they want from you. And it's not always nice, but I prefer that to like these social situations where I'm like, what am I supposed to do? Like I'd rather almost people be mean than like not know what I'm (laughs) supposed to do. Um, and, and also ballet and sports definitely help me a lot with, you know, physical things and, and, and even like probably socially too, because, um, you know, with sports, there's a lot of teamwork involved, especially like I played field hockey, which is common around here. It's like kind of like soccer, but with sticks and then um, basketball and softball, all very big, like team sports that you really have to have your head in the game and work with other people. And that really, really helped. And um, but it's funny. I just want to side note. I have talked about this on my page um, on Instagram, I think I made a meme or something and it was kind of calling out to that while sports are really great for kids who want to play them, I think a lot of the time autistic kids are like their parents make them play sports and it's also mm-hmm. cannot be good because oh yeah, it's like if you don't want to play sports, that's like hell, hell like to play sport like me. I loved it. I enjoyed it. I wanted to, I, I enrolled myself whenever I could. Um, but my son, if I made him play sports, like it would literally be traumatizing for him. Like he has no desire. He doesn't want to know anything about them. He doesn't want to know the rules. Like he doesn't like the environment because it can be tense and he's, he's more of an avoider, a sensory avoider. And he, he gets stressed and doesn't feel like he can handle the environment. So, um, I want to say that I, while I am pro sports for the autistic kids who want that, it's also not good to force your kids to play sports if they hate them or maybe find a sport that they like more like archery or something fun that's more independent where they can still get some physical help yeah,
1: definitely agreed. And anyway, I I we're, we're going to talk about part. sports <laughs> all day. <laughs> um, just one final thing about sports and then we can go to employment. Sure, sure. But I look, I, I kind of related to that. I look back and while I did play team sports, which was super helpful, I always gravitated to the positions that were like pretty independent. Goalie? Like I played
0: soccer and I played goalie. <laughs> definitely. I've heard that a lot. I, I did <laughs> soccer one year and I was goalie as well. Yep, And I've heard that from a couple different autistic people that they were goalie, which is really funny. It's the people softball? that are like, I don't, I don't mind being in the back and then yeah. I'll just, you know, dive when I need to. And that's it. Exactly. <laughs> softball. I played outfield. So I was away from the action and I was second base for softball. I was very much in the action for that. And, and if they ever made me be outfield, I would have been upset because I really, I had to be like infield in the action. Yeah. Yeah. I was
1: mad when they put me. They were like, "You're too good to play outfield. Play first base." I was like, <laughs> but just let me be
0: out there. This kind of move. Coach around. was probably like, "What the heck is wrong with this kid?" I'm telling her she's good and she needs to, you know, be in a really like good position, and she doesn't want it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I know. So funny.
1: Um, I know earlier you had asked me, um, kind of wondering how I got into the field of. Yes. Um, like was that I, something you were seeking or was it just a job opening? Um so I graduated from college and I had um d- did international studies and I really wanted to do immigration work but um oh. as I was graduating funding was kind of cut significantly for that those types of positions. Oh lovely. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So, um, it was really difficult to find anything there. And so I was just kind of looking for really anything. And I came across this ad on Craigslist and so I, I'll go back a little bit, I guess. I have an aunt with, um, who has down syndrome and she's lived with my family. Um, she started living with my family when I was in ninth grade. Um, after my grandparents passed away and, we weren't super close before that, but mm-hmm. as soon as she moved in, we were like BFFs. We, um, yeah, we did a lot together, and we just kind of, I had like was just drawn to her. There was something about like our relationship that really um, like went further than with her and my sisters. And So you guys um, got really, really close. Absolutely. And yeah, then I, I actually that. coached a soccer team for kids with, disabilities great that's Um,
0: wonderful how was that experience Um, did you did you enjoy it
1: yeah it was I'm sure it it comes with some you know learning curve and and all that right absolutely it was really unstructured (laughs) there was just a lot of running around having fun but the games were really cool because they would play against like um like uh like kids without disabilities
0: Oh, okay. so, like you? They
1: got that experience of like that's great. Yeah, all of the games were against other teams. Um, those were really fun. Um, I'm definitely, I wasn't super outgoing out there. I guess so. Mm-hmm. It was a little hard being a coach, being like seventeen. But <laughs> <laughs> right. um, But it was. It would probably. It, I mean, it formed part of who I am.
0: Right. Um, Absolutely.
1: Sounds like, um, so when I came across this job posting, um, it's about, it mentioned like coaching people with disabilities, Mm -hmm, like job mm -hmm. training. Um, and it didn't really need too much background, like an education in it or too much experience having done it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I've just applied for it and it ended up being, kind of the perfect, the perfect spot. And I'm really glad that this is the first job that I got out of college. That's great. Um, How long have you been doing it? Um, coming up on two years.
0: Oh, great. Okay. So you have quite a, quite a bit of experience.
1: Yeah. I think what really kind of, I guess, makes like strengthens it, I guess, I mean, I have the backstory. I have the personal side of mm-hmm. it. Um, I have an aunt with a disability. And she moved from um, San Diego, where there were a lot of services. Um, she actually worked at a Starbucks for a little while, um, up mm-hmm. to where my family lived a little bit north, like six hours north. But in right. California terms, it's not that much. Um, <laughs> right? And it's kind of rural. There's not very many supports She has not had an actual job since she moved up there in 2010. Really? Um, Really.
0: And she's had work experience and she still can't find anything. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of organizations that
1: are job training, but they've deemed her essentially unemployable. Um, Even
0: though she's worked before? Yeah. That doesn't make any sense to me. (laughs) Like they, she probably has references and everything, right? I mean, yeah.
1: I mean, it's like ten years ago, so they may be a little outdated now. Right, right. um, Yeah. How did she
0: take that? Like, is she did she love working, and is she like has this kind of saddened her, or um, a little bit? She she absolutely
1: loved 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 working, and especially having a job at like Starbucks. She Mm -hmm. still is obsessed with Starbucks. Um, and she's definitely, (laughs) she's definitely sad about it, but I would not say it's hardened her. She's still always telling me about these places she wants to work at and like has talked to them about jobs. Yeah. Um, so she's not giving up.
0: That's good. That's good. That's, that's really good. And I, I, I suspect that your parents have a little bit of a hand in that, right? Like keeping her motivated for that. Or is she just kind of that kind of person? Like she's just not going to I think she's just that kind of person. (laughs) That's so great. You know, Um, one of my first jobs I ever had was at Wendy's and I was 17 or so, like not, not late too late teens. It was one of my first. And I grew up in a very, very, very ableist household. Um, and I was raised that, like, literally raised that people with disabilities, especially physical disabilities, are weird and kind of, like, it's really horrible how I was raised, Um, and at Wendy's, there was a worker who had Down syndrome, and, um, like, I remember at 17, you know, knowing nothing about the world, I was just like, well, what are they going to, like, what are they going to (laughs) do? Like, what can they Mm do? It's terrible. Um, And I hate admitting this, but I I think it's good to share because um, you can grow out of ableism. and, um, and, And ableism, for anyone that isn't quite sure, it's basically the idea that, and treating people with disabilities like they are, they have less worth than people who don't have disabilities, basically. And I was raised that way. And, um, her, I'm not going to say her name, but I'll call her B and B ended up being my favorite coworker I've ever had. Like, she was funny. She would tell jokes. She like loved customers like, and, and she was basically like in charge on the weekends of from like 12 to five, like making sure all the tables were clean and no one, worked as good as her like she was so good at her job she loved it she would sing to the people coming in and like she was amazing (laughs) and she was so happy and like it's not a teenager's dream to work at Wendy's so like to have someone so positive and happy to work and proud to work and bring in this like hugely positive energy. Like she meant so much to me. And I still like think about her all the time. I'm actually like tearing up talking about her. (laughs) Like I was such a, like, just like autistic teenager. I didn't know it at the time, but, um, I hated Wendy's. I was like, this is the worst (laughs) job in the world. And you know, if you've been to fast food, you know, like it's stressful, it's loud. It's, um, like probably like the worst job someone that who has like sensory sensitivities could work in because I really struggled there. Um, very overwhelming. When you get long lines, like your manager's like yelling at you and it's like, I'm going as fast as I can, you know, very stressful. Um, and just like having someone there who was like, I'm thankful to work here and such a positive attitude meant so much to me. So like, she was just the coolest. Um, and you know, I've seen what, people with you know down syndrome or, or physical disabilities can offer so much to us that we miss that we forget about you know
1: i love to hear that story because that's exactly what i do all day remind people of every that, day right?
0: that that yeah. they, that people with disabilities have things to offer in all different types of positions.
1: Mm-hmm. And there's something about like being given a chance and being believed yes. in that you can work that you will, I mean, just go above and beyond. That's like what they've been waiting for.
0: Their she couldn't wait life. to go to work every weekend and she'd be like, can't yeah. wait to see you next weekend. <laughs> you know, like, like it was amazing. Yeah. Oh, so sweet. Yeah. Um, and and I love you it. know, you think about people that, you know, for, for some people, a lot of us were just like, I don't want to work, you know, and Mm -hmm. for other people, um, that maybe we don't interact with as much work, they do want to work and it gives them, you know, comfort and, and they, and, you know, more interaction, interaction that they don't always get. And, and they really appreciate that. So that's definitely,
1: definitely my aunt. Um, because she, she's at home most of the time because there's not even like the day program services, she's kind of exhausted through all of them in the area. Mm-hmm. So she's at home a lot. Um, oh. And so it's just like being out once a week for two hours at work would mean the world. Right, right. And it's,
0: you know, I just, I wish more businesses would. And, and there are, I, I think that it's getting out there. There are businesses like there's in Philadelphia, at least um, quite a few grocery stores have really stepped up and hired a lot of, people with especially physical disabilities, um, and, and, you know, really opened up a space for them, but I just wish more companies would make that a priority. Yeah. You have a hand in that as well. Like, does your, does who you work for kind of also raise awareness about that? Or is it really just like job search and, and keeping a job and stuff like that?
1: So it's kind of like a two-part job. Part of it is um, supporting the adults with disabilities in employment. And then Mm -hmm. um, the other half of it is actually going out and talking to businesses and um, creating awareness and helping them create inclusive job opportunities. So a lot of the times we don't just find jobs on the internet or anything like that. Um, We actually are talking to the business and what we call carving positions so
0: that's um, wonderful yeah i think that's uh, what people that's what um you know organizations need to be doing because i think it's pretty clear that businesses aren't going to carve these out on their own in a lot of cases so that's great
1: absolutely yeah that's probably how we get like 90% of the jobs is actually working great. with the business to. I mean, you know, that's identify. not great,
0: but it's great that you're yeah. doing that. I just wish you didn't yeah. have to do that. But it's it's great that you're you know, um, you know, creating the change for the people that you serve. Like that's really great.
1: Yeah, and a lot of it. I mean, we. This is not charity work, mm-hmm. and like with your your story, you explained like having someone with a disability in a business is not charity work. And that's what I think a lot of people think it is sometimes, but we actually go to the business and figure out what their needs are. What's not getting done. How can we work with you and for you to make like your business more efficient, better, work better for
0: your needs. That's great. So a couple quick, questions from me. And then I'm actually going to open it up to a couple questions from listeners of the podcast and also some people from the not neurotypical squad. So first, um, I would really like to hear about more about like tips you give to people on the spectrum for interviews. I know that's a really hard thing. I've gotten asked a lot of questions about like, Interviews in general, just because if you Google search interviews and you see the tips, it's very neurotypical tips. So it's like make eye contact, be confident, have charisma, be passionate. And that's not something that comes naturally to some people on the spectrum. You know, some people can be monotone, or some people can even be overly charismatic about a job they really want, or something like that. So, um, what is some tips that you give people who are really struggling with behaviors in interviews? A lot of what we'll go into the business first
1: and say, hey, they may not be able to make eye contact, but that doesn't mean they're not paying
0: attention. So we okay. prep the business a lot. So you're, you're expect. really like an advocate for like pre-interview for them. Yeah. Do you think it's a good idea for a pre-interview to say, to say that, to advocate for themselves? You know, if they don't have a coach like you, do you think it's a good idea for someone who's been emailing back and forth with an HR, HR at a company and say, listen, um, you know, you reached out to me, you like my resume and I just want to be open and not surprise anybody that I do kind of struggle with eye contact, but maybe say if it's not a customer facing role, like maybe throw it out there and say, um, I don't think that um, has anything to do with my abilities that I could offer still. Or like, do you think that's a good idea to be open before an interview or even like opening up in an interview when you're there?
1: Yeah, I know that that can be really, really scary. Yeah, totally, totally. But I think over time and reading other people's accounts, I've kind of come to that conclusion. Um, Even if it is over email, you... I guess over the past six months, I've just learned to advocate for myself personally Mm -hmm. because no one else is... Advocate and accommodate myself Mm is... No one is really going to do that for me. And if I front load it, then we're going to mitigate a lot of problems in the long term.
0: That's
1: Um, true. And... I mean, you definitely want to frame it around your strengths. Mm -hmm. So if you're saying, I may not be able to make eye contact, but I'm definitely still um, here. I'm definitely listening. Here are my
0: skills that don't necessarily require that. Right. Um, Right. I think that's really good what you just said Um, to frame it in a way like, if I'm not looking at you, that doesn't mean I'm not listening because I think a lot of neurotypicals um, you know, or even neurodivergent people that don't have experience with that. Um, you know, someone with ADHD might have not struggled with eye contact. So even if they are neurodivergent, they might think or assume, because we've been taught that if you don't make eye contact, you're not listening or not paying attention. So I think that's great too. When, if you do struggle with that or anything that you are throwing out there, um, make sure you're explicitly clear about what that means and why it's not an issue for the person interviewing.
1: Mm-hmm. Or can like, be? Like, hey, I really want to give you my most honest answer to these questions. And be, like to do that, I may need to be looking down because that helps me focus more.
0: Right. Things kind so of like that. So what about being realistic? Um, someone who struggles with eye contact probably shouldn't go for a customer facing role where that might be really important to a company, right? Is that, or, or should they go for it? What do you think?
1: I know (laughs) in a lot of places, (laughs) I know, I think this is kind of um, difficult to answer living in a Metro area, like a city, um, because there are a lot of different types of jobs yeah um and some places there you're might right not it be does the really depend
0: where you live it does like the the culture where you live it definitely depends on that like I know in Philadelphia um which is a very it's kind of seen kind of like New York kind of like rude and um you know it's common to not make eye contact walking around in the city and then there's other cities in the country where that is not common I think California I think it's a little more common to be like you know, hey, smile at, yeah. like, no one smiles at each other here, um, which I, I kind of love because I, I don't have that like expectation placed on me. But here, maybe you might have better luck getting a customer facing role, even if you ha- struggle with eye contact, just because if it's a job, you know, if it's a company that's like Chick-fil-A, it might have a problem with that because it's so yeah. very like, you know, yes. like, <laughs> you know, but um, another company might take their money and we're good. You know, you never know. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny here. We
1: call it the Seattle freeze. No one makes eye contact. You don't talk to anyone. Oh, like out on the streets. Yeah, Um, That's that's funny. I I think that there's a luxury in going for jobs that you, that really align with your skills Mm -hmm. and your interests and all of that. But if it's possible, I would say if you struggle with things like eye contact and communication, don't go for a position
0: that is a customer serving role. Right. Like depending or one that's going to be like, you know, stressful in those areas. Not not necessarily that you shouldn't go for it all, but maybe one, um, like you're not going to want to get like a part-time Christmas position at Target (laughs) as a checkout person, like, you know, where it's going to be really stressful and high volume and like very demanding, um, you know, just kind of like take those kind of things into account. But sometimes that's hard. And also I think about, um, my own struggles. So I just sharing of my own job struggles, I have had no issue finding jobs, which is rare for people on the spectrum, but my issue has been keeping jobs. So what, like the first like difficult situation, first of all, I didn't know I had social issues until I realized I was autistic. Um, I knew that I had struggles and I do not really know why, um, which made work environments really, really tough. Um, and I, I find now looking back, it's so easy to see it, but, um, now I look back and I see that I didn't always know what was expected of me and that really stressed me out. And um, you know, I if I didn't understand something, I would not pursue understanding it. I would just fake it. Just like I always did so that's relatable. Did <laughs> that's that's what I did as a kid. That's how I got through school, which was barely. And um I did not have supportive a supportive family and, and they weren't, they were just clueless. Like they weren't a family. Like they just had their own, like my parents had their own issues. They weren't worried about anything. She's smart. She's going to be fine. It was like that kind of thing where they just weren't picking up on my challenges, my real challenges. And then it became like, you're smart. What's wrong with you? All of that. So once you get that shame relationship as a kid, um, you begin, that's when I started masking. I started faking it. Um, I didn't want to feel shame. So my way to cope with that was to fake it till I make it, which in some ways has giant, like hugely helped me as an adult, because, um, I think kids who grow up in a perfectly supportive, atmosphere might have a little more trouble advocating for themselves later because they never had to their parents always did so there's like pros and cons to growing up both ways I think um and we all struggle in in very very different ways into adulthood but I just winged every social interaction in jobs I never learned um to advocate for myself uh and I was scared to like I didn't want any more shame because that was traumatic. And like, I'm sure past bosses were just like, why didn't she just ask me? And I probably like 99% of the time could have just asked and it wouldn't have been a thing. But for some reason in my head, I can't ask. I I can't be seen. It was almost like, I can't be seen in that way. I want everyone to think I'm okay. I knew I wasn't okay, but I was like, I'm okay. (laughs) You know? And, um, that, Killed work relationships. It killed um, corporate environment, especially where there's the politics and all of that. I was so bad at that. I think now I would be better, um, but I'm never gonna find out because it's just not my scene, corporate environment. <laughs> but um, I think that there is so much nuance and so many little things, and and advocacy is so important. And I and I wish really like in school all kids would be taught advocacy for themselves because this is not just something that disabled children need. Um, I think everyone in general is kind of struggling as we transition into like technological life and interconnected life. And I think we all, all kids should be taught how to self-advocate for their struggles or their needs or whatever that may be. Because let's face it, like neurotypical kids at times are going to need accommodations into adulthood and, and things like that. Like you never know what's going on. And you think about just like anything, like if you need a day off, like it's, it's just something that frustrates me that we have this talk only about disabled people as well, because everyone needs these skills. Like, and, and for some reason, sometimes we talk about this stuff, like, Oh, disabled people, you know, they really need, it's, it's so hard. They really need to advocate. And it's like, well, advocating just comes a little more naturally to, neurotypical people but they still have to like learn how to do it and and how to navigate and it's it's just you know it's something that you learn from experience too it's challenging but you have to learn so a couple of more things that we do
1: for interview um support i guess and i this may work in some cases may not work in other cases Um, but we create video resumes because it can be a lot of times difficult for the job candidate to verbally express their experience or what their skills are. Um, and being able to have like a minute or two minute video to show an employer to be like, yeah, I know that in an interview, they may not present exactly like you were expecting, um, right. but here's what they can actually do. Right. Um, building off of that. Um, we also do working interviews and those are super helpful where it's not necessarily, we're sitting down face to face say, so tell me about yourself. Right.
0: Just practicing <laughs> and yeah, you know, do the job. What, I've had people reach out to me. Cause like, like I said earlier, I had no issue getting jobs and I actually, um, found interviews fun I'm one of those like really weird people and um but the thing is well for one I wasn't I'm not intimidated by interviews but I th- also think that being a systemizer as it's called where you kind of within um if you're on the spectrum and you're a systemizer you are someone who can see advanced pattern recognition and um you know you enjoy uh you know certain basically like finding the pattern. And that's me. And I found that that actually really helped me in interviews because one thing that employers love is if you, for one, I always have to be prepared because I don't, it's hard to fully prepare for an interview, but I like research the companies that I've been interviewed for. And I would even like throw out some weird random fact, which sounds like a bad thing to do, but if someone like works at a company and they're like, oh, you've done your research, you know, like they're actually impressed by that, which is isn't can be a natural autistic trait to like kind of like over research and get too into something. And and I used to do that and they actually love that. And other autistic traits um that I would say actually helped me in interviews was I would through pattern recognition. And I, I wish I could like explain exactly how I do it. It just comes naturally to me. I often can, this is if you can process fast enough, but when they would ask me a question, even if I didn't know what it was somehow just going from our interactions, I would kind of know the answer that they're looking for and give it to them. And it, it sounds like I never lie. I mean, maybe lied a little bit, but I, I uh, really would kind of give them more out of the box answers and i think when you do a lot of interviews which i have done over the years i've been in like management roles and things like that um when you do a lot of interviews like neurotypical people really give all of the same boring answers and when you're someone who kind of comes in and gives a little out of the box answer sometimes they really like that so those are some autistic traits that i think can actually help you in interviewing if you can kind of harness that but one way to do that is go to as many interviews as you can. And even if you don't want the job, go to an interview and just get the practice. And that's what I've told some people who have kind of asked me. Like I said, I can't help you keep a job because I have not been good at that unless it's my own business. But um, interview, 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 like just take any interview for any job and get the practice because you'll find a lot of people ask the same questions, So you get a lot of practice and then you start to kind of, um script which is an autistic trait so the more interviews that you go on the more you can kind of get in your head like what's a good thing to say and then run it by someone in your life who has a lot of work experience and be like do you think this was a good answer or i've even once i started to see the patterns of companies asking all the same answers i would even um like research online like there's tons of resources online too where you can um type in a common question and you get like a hundred, like HR will actually tell you like what they want to hear depending on the role and stuff. So there's a lot of resources out there. And I do think, um, especially in my experiences, my autistic traits have, has helped me get jobs. And then I needed more support once I was in there, but you know, there's, you can use your, you know, things that are seen as, um, You know, maybe negative or maybe like in general out of the box sometimes isn't seen as good, but I think in an interview, it's not always a bad thing.
1: Yeah, I agree with uh, everything you just said there. (laughs) um, I also, well, I didn't naturally do this, but my mom told me all of these things to do preparing for job search and interview and stuff and she yeah my dad had to to... talk
0: with me too yeah yeah before when I was like 14 when I was going for my first like you know summer jobs and stuff like that like he sat me down he's like this is what you do and he had a whole like (laughs) coaching thing with me and he like pep talked me and I it was funny because like being my autistic self I was like whatever whatever yeah (laughs) I don't need your help I can do this but um yeah he he definitely really helped me and he was like and you have to negotiate because he's like, it doesn't matter what it is. If it's if it's minimum wage, you always ask for a dollar more and like all of that. And that really helped me too. I think if you, as a disabled person, I think also you might be a little scared to um, negotiate because you're probably, unfortunately, so nervous about just getting any job. A lot of times they see that as a strength. Like, oh, this person, they see it as an advocating type thing. And they're like, oh, this this person can come back and kind of ask for stuff. Okay. Like it might mm-hmm. be surprising in some situations. Um, so know
1: your, your worth me too.
0: Yes. Know your worth. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Um, for, for this job that I have now, I also did research, a lot of research on the business yeah. and I actually mm-hmm. do that for all of the places I go out to job develop now always pick and choose. I'm like, Hey, I noticed that you give your extra eyeglasses to the local schools. I love how you give back to your community. Here's supported employment. Um, yes, different things like that. But with this job, um, I looked on the website, they had bios for all of the people that worked there and they had, you know, some people had like a supported employment certificate. And I asked about that in the interview. It was like, oh, I noticed that you like several right. people had this. Is that something you recommend? And they were kind of like taken aback a little bit, yeah, because you took the time to really look into what they do and what right. some expectations of the you over prepared.
0: <laughs> Yeah. Right. <laughs> I know my mom, my mom
1: probably meant just like, just look over their mission statement. But I was like, I'll right. look over every single page.
0: That's, and that's how I was with a lot, uh, not everything. I mean, sometimes it was just like, ugh, I just need a job, but like jobs that I really wanted. I really just like research company history, looked at everything I could. And then getting like 15 years ago, you couldn't always find that much. Like that was before, a little before like every single company, especially like smaller companies didn't really have websites then. Um, but yeah, it's, now you can find anything online and you can throw out some random fact and impress them. So that's always mm-hmm. a good thing to do.
1: One of my big struggles I would say in interviews is like, if when you like just have to get a job type of thing, they're like, yeah. "Why do you want to work here?" And I'm like, "I really don't."
0: <laughs> I really struggle <laughs> with
1: that with that question. Um, like you said you're able to, you know, fib a little bit. I can
0: fluff work the I answer. Fluff. I don't do um, that in real life at all. Like I am so anti-fluff, but for some reason uh when it's like a competition type thing, it just like clicks in and it's like we're going to get this. Well, I also yeah. masked for so long that I, I actually kind of got good at like knowing what's what people want, I guess. I don't know. It's it's kind of helped yeah. in interviews, I would say. Unfortunately. Yeah, that, you don't want to mask that too is much. So, you don't want to make any promises <laughs> that you
1: exactly can't keep. Like. But yeah. Yeah, that one is definitely hard for me. And mm-hmm. I, when I was, you know, getting out of school, um. I like interviewed at a bank and I was like, what can I find that like I want to do here? And I couldn't do it. And I didn't get that job. Um, Luckily, something came across that I was actually passionate about. Um, Right. But I think that you can always, I mean, if I had, I didn't want to work at the bank, but if you like really take some time to dedicate to it, you can either find some piece of it that you can um, enjoy Or contribute to but also you can say I have the perfect skill set for what this job is asking and Mm -hmm. it like aligns perfectly with my skills um and even doing your research say right it aligns perfectly with my skills and I noticed on your website that you say blah 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 in your mission statement
0: and that really connected with me right right that's great advice definitely So I have another question for you. Um, What do you recommend for those who have received their autism diagnosis while already in their role and are now kind of faced with having to advocate in a new way that they were never kind of prepared for or um, unmasking and also do you think they should tell their employer that they have a new diagnosis or like what, what would you recommend for someone who is late diagnosed already in a role, um, for whatever reason they want to keep the role or, you know, they can't just like take time off or something to kind of process it. They have to kind of work through it. What are some tips you would give to someone who is kind of like realizing all of this, um, while they are in a a job that they do want to keep? Like, how do they navigate that? Likely
1: you either went to get a diagnosis or you were diagnosed because you were experiencing some struggles. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was having an effect maybe in your home life, but probably also in your work. Um, and I think that the time to tell someone is as soon as like the struggles start to really present themselves. I know I'm a procrastinator. I will put it off and put it off and put it off and be ruminating on it. Like mm-hmm. constantly. And it just makes it worse and harder to say anything.
0: Definitely. Um, and, and I like, like we talked about earlier for me, it was like, I didn't want to struggle because I look back now it's because I didn't want to receive shame or the feeling of shame by admitting a struggle. Um, because that was something that was happening in toddler years, like probably as early mm-hmm. as toddler years and into school, um so going into a work environment, it was the same exact struggle that I always had, and I would just hide it, you know and and you're mm-hmm. right, like that's good for for anyone um you know when I think you're you experiencing should experiencing trouble, you know talk Sorry. to somebody <laughs> talk to talk to yeah. a manager or um even ask a, a coworker that you trust, maybe like how to handle it if they've been there longer than you or something, you know, HR yeah. or something.
1: Yeah, I think you should take pride in advocating for yourself. And I know that's a super hard, super hard thing to do in an internal battle, really. Yeah. Um,
0: but it means that you're taking care of yourself. Definitely. Um, and giving and- yourself a future, right? Like where, where's the future? And if you really break it down, if you're struggling in a job that you actually like, and you want to keep the job, and you are just kind of drowning, and people can kind of sense it, but it's not enough to get you fired. But where is your future? Like, where's it going to end? It's it's not going to end good if you're just like slowly drowning. The anxiety is going to slowly build. Um, if you can kind of like do that big picture thing, like we don't always do that. Like sometimes we're just like in that moment, and that's all we can think about. But uh, you know advocating early is so much better like you said like that it's such a good point advocate early with that first struggle um and ask for help and honestly I think most companies while have some issues with disabilities I think most of them want to be generally accommodating to employees in general we all have like scenarios where that's not the case but um I think they'd also prefer that you contact them early rather than later because Mm -hmm. they don't, companies are going to be a lot more annoyed if there's all of a sudden this huge issue that they didn't know about. And then all of a sudden they have to scramble, you know, like you said, early, like earlier on, talk to somebody and, and figure it out. I think that's such great advice
1: hmm. And coming, I mean, coming from a financial standpoint, even it's going to be so much cheaper for them to accommodate you than right. to have you burn out and to retrain another employee. Right. Um, and so if you open up to them, they may be more willing
0: to, you know, work with you there. I agree. Um, that is something that I really needed to work on. Um, you know, and, but it's something I never thought about. Like a lot of our struggles are just things that we didn't really process correctly. Right. Like we, um, I, I knew I was struggling, but in my head, it's like, I can do this job. So I guess in my head, it was almost like, if I admit I'm struggling, they're going to think that I can't do my job, but I don't think that's the reality. In most situations, they know you can do your job because you're already doing it. You know, it's just like a matter of, (laughs) some sort of accommodation that and let's face it if you don't ask for something you're never going to get it Mm -hmm. you know and i do
1: think if you are going to i mean you can either talk to your manager if you think they're going to be supportive but if you don't necessarily get that vibe you can definitely go straight to hr but in either case i think that you should have a plan before not just bringing it to their attention and saying I have a diagnosis now. They're going to say, "What does that mean for you?" Right. Like, what right. do you, if you already have a plan, like, "Hey, I'm going to need this, this, and this," but it's going to help me be this, this, and this for you.
0: Right. And and um, and learn the laws. Learn disability laws. Um, learn what that diagnosis, like you said, have a plan. Learn what the diagnosis means for you, but also learn the laws for what the company is required to give you if you if you ask for it, because. Companies are only about money and, you know, accommodating, accommodating disabilities. Uh, There's a lot of laws around it, but there are loopholes. There are, you know, financial things where there's pushback and, and sometimes, unfortunately, you have to prove things. So if you're someone who gets overwhelmed and stress easy, like you said, that plan is so important to know, just be prepared for what you're asking for. And also if you ask for something and they're like, well, what do you want? And you're like, I don't know. That doesn't help you either. Right. So you have to have that plan in place. You can't just be like, I want accommodations. What can you offer me? That's not (laughs) how it works. Right. You know, they might not have any experience in it. Right. Exactly. Like they most likely you have to advocate, but also kind of educate what, what you need. And it's really hard because we don't always know that, but as long as you can verbalize it in some way and communicate your needs and and what you think might help you um within the americans with disability act you know they they definitely have to comply with quite a few things on there
1: yeah and i'd say over in the long term keep that open and clear communication with right. your manager your supervisor which Do we struggle with right if needed yeah yeah,
0: yeah it's, it's set it hard
1: um for me, I've kind of found it's a little bit easier. Not just like you're, you say, oh, I got to make sure I check in with my manager every once in a while. But I'm like, all right, right. every Friday, I'm going to give them a little, just a two sentence, how it did this week type of thing. If it's on your schedule, right. like built into your routine, built into your
0: schedule, it can make it a little bit easier. Yeah, that's that's a great idea. I like that. Yeah. So I wanted to kind of go into some listener questions. Um, so Freddie in the not neurotypical squad asked, how do you suggest requesting added support in the workplace directly with a supervisor or manager? What would you recommend to somebody who is, um, asking for an accommodation? Like how should they go about it? What should they ask?
1: I really do think a lot of it comes down to how you frame things. Mm -hmm. Um, and not necessarily framing it with what you struggle with but
0: what it is going to allow you to do if you have that accommodation. Right. Um and a company that's what they want to hear, right? They want to hear that it's going to make you be more productive in a certain area. Exactly. Or, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's great advice. Um
1: like headphones. If if your company doesn't necessarily allow things like that, instead of saying I can't focus, I can't get my work done, because it's so loud in here, that might not necessarily be the best, like how the business is going to, um, they're not going to respond the best way to that. But if you say, right. Um, cause they're going to say you,
0: everyone else is fine in here. Right. Exactly. That's what say. Yeah,
1: exactly. But if you're like, um, by providing me or by, by allowing me to wear my headphones or providing me you know, a separate workspace, I'll be able to get this much more done for you. I'll be able to be more productive. I'll be able right. to get my
0: work done. Um, things right. like that. I love that framing it in, in how it's gonna, um, you know, unfortunately, we have to, we don't live in a world where all of our struggles make sense. So but I I so agree, framing it in a positive way for the company and say, if, um, right. Not even saying your struggle, let just say like, listen, you know, like the loudness is even just like affecting me. And, um, if you provide this, I'll be able, I I'm confident you can even say like, I'm confident I would be able to do, um, this much, get this much more done or, or be a lot more effective in this area or, you know, give specific examples. Yeah, that's great.
1: And then like, let's check in in a week to see
0: what, how my productivity right. has gone. Right. So, so be flexible, which is something that we aren't always, Yeah, <laughs> right? Like, yes. Yeah, so, and then offer, offer that. Yeah. Let's check back in, in a week or two and, and see if it, if it is improving and, and that way you kind of seem like you're appreciative of the accommodation and the help as well. Absolutely. Yeah. That's really, really great advice. Uh, next question. We have Megan from Portland. She asked, She works at a prestigious public garden as a gardener, and it's a very blue-collar job at an intensely white-collar institution, she says. Um, She struggles day-to-day with feelings like employees are frequently mistreated in the workplace, and often it feels like nobody else sees it. So basically, when she's spoken up about um, mistreatment in the workplace, she's been completely disregarded, And when she speaks to the uh, people in power or, you know, managers, people of authority, she's actually been scolded or flat out told that she's wrong when she's sharing about her experience. Um, So now she's kind of in this position where she's wondering, um, you know, is this all negatively on me? Like, what's going on? You know? she feels like she's experiencing almost like gaslighting in the workplace, which is very common for um, people with disabilities to feel when they share their struggle. Um, and the and obviously the managers aren't getting it because they're just completely disregarding her. So what advice would you have as far as communication when we're already in this sticky situation, she feels undervalued or even mistreated? Um, what do you think her next steps sh- should be. um, For proper communication, Uh, she said in her question that she doesn't want to leave the job, she can't leave her job, um, but clearly she wants to try to kind of turn it around and make the most of it. What are your recommendations? (laughs) This is a really difficult one, a really tough situation. But something a lot of us find ourselves in where we tried to advocate and it didn't really work she advocating for herself or on behalf of someone it else sounded like a little bit of both it sounded like her as a gardener in in a fancy garden um she it sounds like there's some mistreatment with her as a gardener and her some other co-workers um probably helping her with gardening and things like that um you know landscape and stuff like that so they're maybe almost like seen as beneath the other workers who maybe are working more like management level. I'm guessing here, she didn't say this, but it sounds like she feels like there's a disconnect. It makes her uncomfortable. Um, Nobody likes being mistreated. So that's understandable. It sounds like she's tried to advocate by, um, bringing light to the situation and has been met with, um, you know, almost hostility. It sounds like. So, uh, what do you think are like healthy next steps to kind of turn it around since it's not a situation where she can just quit and she doesn't want to? Yeah, Yeah. Um,
1: I think ideally in a situation like this, you want to find someone to be on your team. Right. Maybe there's another gardener or um, just someone to be, maybe it's not necessarily actively or vocally on your side, but that Mm -hmm. you can relate to, vent to a little bit at work so you don't feel so alone at work. Right. Find an Um, ally. Absolutely. I think that it could also be helpful to document it in some way. I know a lot of people are better, more clear in writing than, Mm -hmm. um, than verbally. And it might be coming across not how you wanted it to when you're speaking to management so that can be right. scary you might not share all of the details or you might share it in a way that doesn't come
0: across to them like right. it's a, as big of an so issue as, a gardener, as it is so as a gardener it's not a desk job so um you know writing an email might be like something that she didn't even think of because um she obviously is not sitting at a desk um I don't know I'm sure she has access to the email at home but so you're suggesting maybe typing up some sort of written communication and after like kind of kind of like taking some data and and going through all some different scenarios that have happened kind of thing like to communicate yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) I know it's a tough one
1: I want to answer, but I don't know the answer because
0: I don't know what I would do. (laughs) I know. Um, Yeah. It's a tough one. I, I think that I, if it was me, well, I would have just quit. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Probably, which is not the right thing to do. And that's not a good self-advocate But um, I I think what I would tell, like if it was my kid, I would probably tell them because I give way better advice to my kids than anybody else. But if it was my kid coming to me and be like, oh, I'm a gardener and like they see us as like beneath them and it's so frustrating, I would probably suggest um, looking in company handbooks if they have a handbook and seeing if there's like ethics that are supposed to be um kept up. A lot of companies don't have that, but but some do. So maybe doing some research and seeing if there's um, some sort of ethical guidelines that the company practices um, and kind of having that on your side, not saying to act on that yet, but just do that research. Um, if there is an HR, I would say um, document, you know, many different situations. Hopefully you found an ally by now, like she said, um, and kind of put everything together and then you have to package it and give it to somebody. So it's like, do all your research, figure out the the hard thing is that so much of this that we're discussing is gray area. So it's not people like explicitly breaking laws or breaking rules, but it's creating a hostile work environment. And that's so hard for me to navigate or, or, you know, a lot of us. And it's like, what do we do? So, my advice is research, you know, figure out what's not acceptable in the workplace and then try to talk to somebody about it. I don't know. It's so hard.
1: Yeah. How do you improve the
0: work situation? Yeah. yeah. I know.
1: Lay low choose for a little your bit battle. to gather all of that yeah. and then
0: present mm-hmm. it all. Um, yeah. yeah and, and choose your battle to you, take pride in your work and what you and I like what are what you're contributing. You, yeah and i and i like what you said about you know if if verbal conversations have gone wrong then try written communication from there i like that a lot so yeah. sorry sorry megan i wish that that <laughs> answer was a little better but um it's 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 a tough one but i i think that you can navigate that if you maybe the biggest thing i would say is like have patience because it's hard to turn that environment around, but I know it can be done. It's just a matter of being very uh, careful. (laughs) Um, Okay, moving on. I have another question for you. Ricardo from Portugal asks, he is a biologist with a PhD and he would like to hear strategies for how to deal with being too honest in interviews. It seems like he has a hard time selling himself. He puts selling in quotes and he does not embellish on his CV or resume and quite like neurotypicals do. So he kind of needs help with more like interview answers and being a little too honest. So he has all this academic background and still struggles with what to say in an interview, which is what we find um, that you know, people with disabilities, it has nothing to do with intelligence. Sometimes it's, it's other issues. And he has a PhD and he still needs help with where do I draw the line? Right. What do I Mm -hmm. say? Like, what, what do I say when they ask me, you know, well, what do you want from this job? Well, you might just want, I just want to come in and do my work and not talk to anybody and go home you know, but you can't say that in an interview, right? So how do you navigate that, um, social interaction of interviewing and having to fluff? Yeah. Um,
1: it is something (laughs) that I struggle with as well. Um, I think some big advice is going through like all of the typical interview questions. Mm-hmm. And coming up with
0: like a script and a story for each one. Yes. Um like and what do you want what do you want from this role? Where do you see yourself in 10 years? Let's talk about like all those questions that they ask. Every company Oh my asks God. Them. Where do you see yourself in five to ten years? Um, you know, what what's uh what are you looking for out of working for this company or like what are all those like millions of questions? Um you know, how have you navigated a difficult situation in a past job and all of that, you know, like, these are things that I've probably been asked in like every single interview I've ever had, which has probably been like over 100. Like, yeah. I, I'm pretty good at this. Um, and I'm a good fluffer. So but like you said, one major way that I navigated it is I have scripted a lot. And, um, and I've worked on it, like the more interviews I've had, I I would just like throw a fluff out there. And I'm like, that's good. I'm going to use that every time. <laughs> Um and as you practice like you have to practice fluff like practice um Ricardo if you have family members that can uh go back and forth with you and practice those common questions and and you practice your fluff and and fluff is really just like making you look perfect for the job that's what an interview is um like he said like neurotypicals kind of have an easier job and with it and that's because it's a lot of nuance and it doesn't mean you're lying if you're exaggerating a little bit. That's not a lie. I mean, I know sometimes we, it's hard for us to like do a bold face lie, but it's not a bold face lie to kind of make yourself um, seem like perfect for the job. Because if you think you are, it's not a lie to embellish a little bit. Right?
1: Yeah. I think also sometimes it's hard for us to be We're a little more critical on ourselves than other people may be. So run your cover letter and your resume past other people and they will probably have other things Mm -hmm. to add to it. And with those Mm -hmm. questions where you're fluffing, if you run it past someone, they can probably think of a story or a time that you Mm -hmm. related to it completely. And we just didn't think about it or we thought, oh, well, that was only halfway of what they
0: wanted but that works Right. Right. Yeah, definitely. And and where do you draw the line? I would say go as far to the line of lying as as ethically possible. Why not? Why not make yourself look like like the best person ever for the job? I mean, as long as you're not completely lying. I'm not telling people to lie, but um Other people in the interviews are going to be fluffing. That's what everyone does in an interview. So it, it is okay to practice some fluff, make yourself, you know, over exaggerate your strengths or that doesn't mean to take weaknesses and make them strengths. That's lying. But to over exaggerate the strengths or the things that you would bring to the company or the inner, you know, your, your position, that is not lying. That's just an interview. That's, that's how it works. That's the reality of an interview. And they know you're doing it. They know everyone does. Anyone who does that, that's like an employer who is giving the interview. They know that you're going to come in and exaggerate. Like That is like everyday common sense of, of interviewing. So you're not really doing anything wrong, even if it feels like it. Man, I
1: still struggle with that one
0: (laughs) so much. I don't know why Um, I I really didn't. I I almost found it fun. I could like go into this like dream world of like, you know. Maybe I need to like think of it as a game a little bit. That's what I do. Um, I almost think of it almost like acting um, where, or masking, I guess. I guess I just had a lot of practice growing up, but um, yeah, like almost like, And that doesn't mean like after you get the job, like I never felt, even with my fluffing, I never felt like I had to like continue that. Like you still get to know everybody and and it's not like you're setting up, I mean, as long as you don't lie a bunch, but if you're just fluffing, everyone still has to get to know you and um, it's not awkward or weird because they didn't really know you yet, obviously. Um, And you just kind of go from there. And I think sometimes it's almost like this anxiety that if you fluff like they're going to find out, but it's, that's not how it works either. You know, you you eventually, you exaggerated your strengths. You didn't lie about your strengths. You just exaggerated them. And then you have a chance to show them how you work once you get the job. So it's, it's just leveling the playing field, but it is stepping into a role, as you said, like you kind of like <laughs> become this like master interviewer, you know, persona. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Hey,
1: they probably interviewed a lot of people for that position too and will not remember
0: everything. Exactly, that you said. It's very true. Like think about the fact that you're, you know, one of the many and um and your job in an interview is to stand out and you want them to remember you and you do that by exaggerating your strengths. Um but also being honest. So honesty is not a bad thing because, well, me and my husband talk about this a lot because he in his position is very high up and he interviews like 20 people a week at least um, in in his role right now. And we talk about all the crazy interviews because I find it so fascinating. (laughs) Um, And he doesn't disclose like who the people are, but he'll kind of tell me like scenarios and funny things people have said And I find it so fascinating, but the people who get the job are often honest about their weaknesses. Um, when you go in and they ask you what's your greatest strength and what's your greatest weakness, you get that a lot. Um, they know if you go in and you say like, Oh, I don't have any weaknesses. Um, you know, I can't think of a weakness, but here are my strengths. (laughs) Like that is such BS. And they're going to assume that you're not honest, right? Because everyone has weaknesses. So that's another thing. Like, it's okay to be honest. Um, maybe that's your, your cue to say, I have sensory sensitivities. Um, you know, I, I've noticed the desks in here are all kind of like together and that might really bother me or, you know, a loud environment. Um, so, you know, that, might be seen as, as a weakness for the position. But if I'm able, that's where you can start advocating. Like if I, if there's any way I could wear like noise canceling headphones, it would not be a problem at all. You know, just like something, uh, not that I see that as a weakness, but I'm like, that's a chance to kind of throw out, you know, pre-advocacy almost. And then you look like someone who's going to be really honest with them and good character and all of that. That's so interesting. Like,
1: using your support, what
0: support you need as your
1: weakness. And then
0: you have a solution for them. Right. Which, which is unfortunate. It's not like, you don't want to see that kind of stuff as a weakness, but to a bit, and I don't like, I don't see sensory sensitivities as a weakness, but in a business setting, it can be considered a negative, um, especially for you. So why not spin it as hey you're probably they're probably looking for you know in general um the perfect person for the position because that's their job um but they also often want someone who's going to be honest and um you know unlike me come to them with their struggles or whatever so if you kind of use that in a way to kind of throw it out there um but like you said earlier spin it in a positive way and mention how Um, what they might see as a weakness can easily be helped with this and that it's not gonna be, you know, a long-term issue, even though you don't know that you're fluffing, Um, you know, that's still something that you might have to work out. Um, You know, throw it out there. Why not like a pre-advocacy type move? And then you're being honest because if you say you don't have any weaknesses, like (laughs) it doesn't look good.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the biggest thing, this final final thing that you mentioned is practice the fluff practice the
0: fluff. that'll be really really helpful it's your interview mask or your interview persona like we we've mm-hmm. talked like on this podcast i've talked a lot about masking and how harmful it can be but i want to throw out there to anyone especially on the spectrum anyone who masks and things like that that everyone has a work persona everybody um, the difference is that to a neurotypical, it's a persona that is improving their life and giving them, they're not, they're not neglecting themselves. They're just fluffing, they're accentuating who they are, their strengths or whatever to um, get the job or um You know, look professional. It's like a professional persona, and when they go home, they're not quite the same person, but they're not a different person. So, I just want to throw out there that there's a certain amount of masking that totally is okay. And when I when I talk about on the podcast and I say, you know, like take off the mask and all of that, I'm not saying that um, having a work persona is a bad thing or a professional mask on. The difference is in my past, like I use myself as an example of of where I masked my struggles, um, because I wanted to look professional. But in that case, instead of just like accentuating and fluffing, I was ignoring struggles, denying my needs, and then creating a horrible work environment for myself. And it was honestly all me a lot of the times. Sure, there was jerks I worked for and things like that. But most of the time, It was me not accepting myself and what I needed and what accommodations I needed or things I didn't get or all of that. Um, And that's the harmful mask, but it's not harmful to fluff your strength and all of that and have a work persona as long as you are not ignoring your needs or, you know, work self care almost like type of thing where um you know ignoring your struggles and just like oh no i'm not going to deal with this right now i'm not going to advocate for myself fluff it up yeah
1: <laughs> yeah so a little bit of a side note i have about um taking the or the masking work persona at work is um and you might have a different opinion on this being in like a corporate environment but not trying to fit into the work culture too quickly um because then that's your work persona you're trying to really yeah really be what they want a different but you're not necessarily being true like you said to who you are as much as you can um I guess maybe I had a little bit um I was able to kind of sit back a little bit and kind of like watch from the sidelines figure everything out figure everyone out before I started yeah, sharing more pieces of me at work. Um, And that really, really helped. Um, I think staying true to who I was, but also not going full force, trying to fit into work straight away. I think it's okay to not have friends right away at work. You don't okay. have to try to like be, you're not missing out if you're not going out to every social event and going it's out. It's not to always like TV. Talk with everyone. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. It took a long time for me to find a friend at work. Yeah. And
0: um, I don't think I've ever had, um, you know, like you always hear about people like going out after work and stuff like that. I've never really had that environment where, I mean. I I was probably due to masking, but at the end of the day, especially at like job, like desk jobs, I was so drained. Like I couldn't even, I couldn't even go to those Mm -hmm. if I wanted to, like, it was just like, I'm going home. I'm spent. I have to go come back here tomorrow. No way. Am I hanging out (laughs) with these people? (laughs) Absolutely. And be okay with that. that. Some people,
1: um, some people have like that big social pressure to do
0: that and it's okay not to. Right. Don't put yourself in, in that box that of expectations of what you think because normally, even if you get there eventually and you enjoy it later, you don't have to burn yourself out. So Megan from Canada has a question for you. And what is the best way to communicate the accessibility needs that seem very perplexing or confusing to, let's say, a neurotypical manager? like body language, wording. So this is kind of like the same thing that we discussed in the interview, like things that might be seen as negatives in interviews. But once you're actually in the role, um, basically, how do you navigate like customer service standards that you may struggle with um, to your manager? Like Like maybe you got written up for something that's hard for you. Um, or, you know, part of your diagnosis that you struggle with or, or something, you know, how, ha- how do you kind of advocate for yourself in that situation? Um, you can have some resources to share
1: with your manager, supervisor, mm-hmm. um, because if it is complex perplexing, they may, and you're the first person telling them this, they might not mm-hmm. understand that it is a wide, wider issue. And there are other people that do struggle with it or relate to it um Mm -hmm. and if it's not first I would say be be completely honest if you're written up for something don't try to
0: like just say oh I was bad um right like you're right that's the time to speak up and say I'm autistic and this is something that um you know Is different than the general population and uh you know then you have to advocate for yourself and I don't it depends on what you want the outcome to be but yeah like you have to be honest of why we're in this situation right instead if you just avoid Mm -hmm. it then it's um even more confusing the next time then they're going to be like you were fine with that you know what's what's going on now yeah yeah Or it's just
1: being quick to say, okay, I'll fix
0: on it. I'll fix it. I'll work it. I'll work on it. And that was me. Um, That was my math. Yeah. They would give me the paper and I would sign it and say, I'm going to do better. Mm -hmm. You know, that's how, and that, that did me no favors, did it at all? Yeah. It hurt me. Yeah. Yeah. Be honest with
1: yourself and be honest with your employer. And if you need extra resources, feel free to bring them in. If you're not explaining it in the way that you want to or is coming across to them correctly um, or as you want it to bring in extra stories, extra articles, resources
0: that um, someone else has explained it and how they Mm -hmm. worked through it. What if you have a manager, if you're advocating um, and they're not a resources kind of manager, what do you think is a good way to navigate it? Is it just more, you know, someone who's more intimidating, would it be more written communication or, um, would it be time for HR if, if there's someone who's really pushy and is not going to be understanding? Do you think it, that's the time to just go to HR or try again? Or what do you, what do you think?
1: I think if you haven't tried written communication and that's your strength, try it. Um, but probably go to HR. Like they're yeah. going to be able to the ones to help you the most navigate that they know that manager they know that manager's style how to interact with them the best right um and they will definitely
0: be able to hopefully if they're a good hr um i know there's there's so much that all of this depends on right and that's why it's so hard to even do a podcast on this and and take you know actual questions because there's so much nuance to all of this there is every situation is totally different. It depends on the personalities that you're working with. It depends on the resources. Each company has different resources. Um, but I think the gist at what we're getting at here is you have to talk about it. And that's the hardest part mm-hmm. for us, or at <laughs> least for me, that's been the hardest part. But yeah. being honest and open up front, but also spinning it in a positive way of of, okay, it looks like this, but this is what I can offer with the accommodation or whatever. So being honest, but also um, seeing it in a positive light, which let's face it, the, these people, same as you, they're going to work every day, You know, maybe not lo- loving their job or whatever. Um, but I think spinning things positive is, is a much more, it's gonna have a much better outcome, I would say nine out of 10 times if you see whatever you're trying to get as positive for them, you know, I, I think that's like the best advice I've ever heard, because I think about, well, when you're in this situation, it's so negative for you, right? If you're really mm-hmm. struggling at work due to a disability or something that you know that you can't improve, at least not at this time, that is so stressful and anxiety inducing and scary. And and then, um especially if you have like a, a boss who's, you know, kind of tough, uh, that makes it even scarier. So I love like going to the written communication, sending resources. They don't have to open it. And, and if you send it in a positive way and saying, um, you know, don't say, you don't have to open it if you don't want to. But if you say like, if you're interested, here is some, you know, resources to kind of help you wrap your head around, you know, my situation or something. Like if you kind of spin it in a way, don't say like, here's resources for you. This is what you need to look. But if you kind of spin it, like um, if you'd like to look at this, here's some great resources that kind of sheds a light on a deeper light on what I'm asking for the, or, you know, my situation or, or something. I mean, I think that's such a great idea. And then, uh, then you go to HR from there. And I
1: know this is like, it, you may not have the opportunity to, but if it's a toxic
0: environment, it's not going to be healthy for you to be there. Right. Um, when, when do you give up and you give up when it's yeah. affecting your men, if you can, uh, you know, if it's affecting your mental health and you've exhausted, you know, these positive things.
1: Oh yeah. I'm the type to just quit a job and <laughs> just leave. And I should not have done that. I should have done things I've to uh, work it out before. I've uh,
0: just walked out of jobs and never even <laughs> contacted anybody. <laughs> That's so terrible. Um, but it was, it was uh, like, honestly, looking back, me doing that was trauma responses. It was um, just extreme anxiety. And it was all centered around social communication that I was struggling with all of it. Like every time I look back and I think of like this job I walked out of, this job I walked out of, like they probably thought I was so Nuts! Because um, it they probably had no idea there was any issues because I hit it. Yeah, yeah. But if I had this conversation with you, and like, I mean, it's hard at twenty instead of thirty-five. I do think it's something that I could have improved with practice. Um, you know, because I didn't know I was on the spectrum. I didn't. I didn't understand my social challenges. So you, like, teenage and twenty-year-olds listening to this or watching this you you know you have the opportunity to start working on these things and it's not going to be easy at first but i i think i'm learning now as i'm starting to advocate in general for myself um advocate for my kids it gets easier once you start advocating so um you know once once you have the challenges and have kind of worked through them you get some confidence and it gets a little easier to um, work on this stuff but it's hard it's hard every time Mm -hmm. but it it doesn't stay quite so hard after you start figuring out how to work it out yeah each time
1: you learn a little bit more of how to frame it or what they responded to negatively and how you can
0: change that and it and every person does that a little differently so it's you know every time you're advocating it is a little different but as long as you have these kind of tools and resources, um, I think they can help navigate the challenges a lot. Mm-hmm. So in closing today, is there anything, any just general tips or anything you want to say generally to the listeners and viewers um, for, you know, getting a job and keeping a job with disabilities? Any, any closing thoughts? final advice,
1: kind of summing everything up would to be find what you're really find what your passions and your skills are and go that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and also spin positive, have a plan and
0: advocate for yourself. I love it. You have been so helpful to me you've you've made me think of things kind of in a new light and I think you've given just a lot of really great advice and I just want to say thank you for what you do for a living because I think it's so important and I think that's amazing and it's so awesome that you can get paid to do this and and really (laughs) help people and um you know some people I think do this kind of stuff like you said like charity work and I think it's so true this is not charity work this is um this is you know busting through ableism that that's in the workplace. And, and I hope that you and your company really helps um, businesses see that people, whether disabled or not have things to offer and disabled people don't have less to offer because of their disabilities. So I think it's so amazing what you do. And, um, everyone out there, uh, she is in the squad, the not neurotypical squad. So feel free to join. I will put a link in the description, um, and you'll kind of see her commenting and maybe you could throw her a message. And if you have any extra questions or any, do you mind if people message you on the squad? Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to every (laughs) now and then.
1: I was just going to say we like so many times throughout this conversation, we said each situation (laughs) is so different based on all of the different circumstances. Um, you can reach out to me if you have like a situation where our conversation today didn't really touch on or answer your question necessarily. Um, yeah. Feel
0: free to right. reach, reach out. Right. So on the squad, you use your real name, I believe. Right. So yes. Delaney Klein, um, you can find her, I believe you're the only Delaney so far. So yeah, um, <laughs> I don't think That's usually how it is. is. <laughs> yeah. So um yeah, I will put a link to joining the squad if you are looking for more support. We do have a squad in there which is kind of like a Facebook group where it's like a central um theme and there is a neurodiversity in the workplace squad. So there is a place for anyone who is struggling right now to kind of um connect with other people and ask questions and grow and be like, I just went through this. What what do you guys think? Or you know, just share. Um, so there if you are struggling in this area and need more support, we do have that for you in the not neurotypical squad. So thank you so much for joining me. And I appreciate you also doing a video because I know not everyone loves that. <laughs> but I think that um it's I've really tried to transition to Uh, more video just because it some people process the information better on YouTube watching and and being able to see it so it's important to me to kind of be a little more accessible when I can so um, thank you thank you thank you and uh, maybe we can have you back as we get more fun questions uh, okay part two or something (laughs) like that we'll see all right thank you for being on thank you